out, nobody on. The playoffs to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three called to the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the Autobot Podcast. My name is Justin Viber, and I'm joined, as always, by Chad Young and Niv Shaw. Uh, on tonight's episode, it's going to be a little bit of a, I, I was calling it a fireside chat because it's going to be kind of informal. We don't have as much prepped notes for this. We're just going to free flow a little bit. I mean, this is going to be a little quicker of an episode than we normally have. Hopefully it has to be. We're going to talk about rebuilding. It's there's kind of never a perfect time to talk about it, but I figured, you know, it's yes, it's postkeeper deadline, but there's still teams that are in situations where they're planning for their upcoming auction and they're doing that from a rebuilding perspective. And the other impetus for this episode is we got a comment on Slack from at scubadan123 and it generated quite a bit of discussion between the three of us and I and we thought it would be a good opportunity to discuss it on the podcast. So the question was this, well, statement slash question. It said, hi, Justin, I'm enjoying the podcast you guys have been doing. I've been playing Autonew since 2015, but have only won one championship. My teams tend to run middle of the pack year after year. I rarely think that I'm in rebuild mode, and I always want to play to win every season. In the last podcast, you guys mentioned the classic Autonew two-year rebuild. Maybe I'm missing something by always trying to be competitive. Perhaps you guys could do a podcast about this strategy. So first, let's talk about why we as Autonew managers maybe don't want to constantly every year focus on winning as our first priority. Just one thing before we even get into that, I just want to point out, he's been playing since 2015, which is like five seasons. He's won a championship. I don't know how many leagues that's out of. Maybe he's played 20, but like... Give yourself some, I, some credit yeah, there for winning. I, I, I was gonna, yeah. like that's, you're, it's, you know, if you were like, I've been playing since 2015 and I've never finished higher than 11th, even though I'm always trying to win. Yeah, that'd right. be a different problem. There'd be a conversation we need yeah, to have. I, I, like, I was going to bring... Hey, I'm, I, I've won a title. I run middle of the pack. I'd like to do better. Like, that's not a bad place to be. Right. Whereas me, who's in 10 to 12 <laughs> leagues, if I'm like, I only won one league last year, that is kind of like, that's oh, it. that's about average performance if you're in 12 leagues. That's yeah. So what do you think, like, let's start with the idea that it's not a good idea to always focus on winning now. For me, I think that the biggest reason is that you're not always actually in a position to be competitive. And I know I'm, I, I sometimes am a little more pessimistic about those evaluations and we've, we've, we've done our case study episodes in the past about the keeper deadline and the trade deadline last year. And I feel like Chad is is much more of an optimist than I am when, when we're talking about these teams and Chad's like, they can go for it. They can win. And I'm like, no, they can't. Don't, don't even try. So I know that I'm already starting from that perspective that I want to be very realistic about what my chances are, that if I'm not projected to be like in the top four, then I'm considering shifting my focus. And I think for me, the reason why I do that is that you can take advantage of the fact that Everyone else at auction is trying to focus on certain players. They want Mike Trout. They want, you know, the players that are going to help them win now. And yes, all the young players are also going to be 
expensive and there's still going to be hype for um, those types of players. But I feel like you, you have more flexibility. You have less pressure as far as filling a lineup, getting a certain number. You don't need to hit 1500 innings pitched. If you decide you're not going to be competitive that year, you should still have a lineup. Don't be one of those managers that doesn't fill out their team and, and, and completely punts. But I think that you can take advantage of the fact that you don't have as much pressure to spend all your money and maximize the utility of every single part of your roster if you shift your focus and you have an eye towards next year rather than this season. I don't know if you guys have different reasons why, you know, it, it's a good idea not to just constantly focus on competing. Yeah, I think you touched on it with the idea that if you, you don't always have future value, right? And if you don't have future value and you don't have, or like surplus, I guess is a way to say it, because you're in that cycle where your your salaries are getting caught up and your inflation is getting caught up, but you aren't adding the right pieces. Let me say this in a more clear way. You usually start in a place of competition because you have superstars, but you also have players that overperform what the market set them at, right? And that's where your right. surplus comes from. Yep. So if you have... And because of the inflation and arbitration that happens in auto new in every offseason, that surplus will diminish for you every year. And replenishing that without giving yourself, like Justin said, sort of the low stakes season off where you can focus on replenishing that through trades or in-season auctions or whatever, without being able to do that and trying to compete every year, it's really challenging. Like you, you're losing surplus every year by, by default, by, by the way the game operates. That's by design. That's not a mistake. That's so that everyone has a chance to compete year over year. But that means the teams that were behind you are catching up to you, right? So the idea here is that the economic system is basically built around the idea that your surplus can't last. You need surplus in order to compete. So trying to compete every year is really hard. And I think, I think, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's, that's it. I think you also have to decide for yourself what competing means because it can mean different things in different leagues. Right, different that's people. right. And I think, like, Niv, you and I play in League One. My my thinking in League One, and, and maybe this goes back to what Justin was saying at the beginning about me being more optimistic about people being able, able to compete. League One, we pay out prizes to the top four. So if I'm projected sixth or seventh, but I think, hey, I think I can make the right moves in the season, I think things can break right and I can get into that top four, I'm probably going to go for that. Whereas I know there's at least one other manager in League One who's like first or bust, right? It's either right. a flag or it's not. And that's that's just it for him. And so if he isn't projected to be in the top three or four, maybe he doesn't go for it. And so I, I do think I I think it's probably worth saying what, what, what we haven't agreed on, but I think is accurate that when we talk about competing, we mean going for a championship. Right. Right. Yeah. When we when, and and that isn't the only definition of competing, and it's not the definition for competing for everyone in every league every year. And I think that's an important distinction to make. And I think the other aspect of this is my impression, based on the way this was worded, was they intend to compete. And he, and he makes a, there's a comment here about running middle of the pack year after year, and and you know I feel like in general that's one of the worst places to be where you're in the middle. Because you're not, you don't have a clear focus, right? You don't have, he wants to, his intention is to compete. But if you're running middle of the pack, then you were really pretty far away from winning that league or even finishing second and third in some, in some uh, cases. So, and I, I feel like you really need to say, okay, if I'm not going to be 
in the top three. And as Chad said, and yes, that is completely contingent upon if you play in leagues and there's no prizes at all, maybe, yeah, you really only care about first or bust. And then you can be a lot more sort of aggressive and a lot more focused on, I don't care if I finish 10th, as long as I give myself the best chance of finishing first. But if you are in a league with a pace, like Chad said, it pays out four places and maybe you're okay finishing third because it means you still made your money back and then some. Yes, you need to change your outlook on what that means for you as far as being competitive. But I, I, we're I think gonna, we're going to get into it with what I meant by a two year. But I also think like for me in League One, there are times where I'm just like, man, I've been in the cellar for three years in a row. I need to just finish sixth or seventh just so I feel that I'm capable of having having a little like success in this league and like focus in this league. So like you should give yourself like when I'm saying I'm I'm willing to consider sixth or seventh a victory, like competition is just so relative. So you should give yourself a break if if your if your goal is to come in first every single time. You, you know, I, I think just being realistic there is is so so reasonable. But I think to get us back to the the question that was asked and to, to what we want to discuss today, I think we should just for this conversation, competing means going for a championship. Right. I think that's what we're really discussing right now. I think there's levels of this, there are variations. I think people are absolutely right to stop and think like, what does competing mean to me? But for this conversation, I think we should talk about what is it, you know, what's the path to win a league? Before we, we before, yeah. And, and one other quick thing I want to mention too, is I feel like one of the classic cycles is that you are competing. Let's say you are in a position that you think you can win the league that year. You're often trading away those young future value right. assets so that you can build a better chance of winning that season right. and that and you can get stuck in a cycle because if it doesn't go correct if it do, if you don't actually win or you don't put yourself in that position well you've now just hurt your team for next year and you didn't accomplish your goal and now you're worse off in the following year than you would have been if you had shifted gears and accumulated even more future value and i think that's where that inflection point is and it can be very hard to know that and obviously, we've had discussions in prior episodes about whether a team was in a position to compete or not. So it's not easy. But at the same time, that's why it's so important to shift gears and say, OK, well, I can't compete. So I'm going to preserve the assets I already have that are going to help me for the future and potentially acquire more because now I'm trading away Nolan Arenado, Charlie Blackman or, or anybody else that's sort of right at that line. And they're not really going to help you compete next year. But anybody else in that league is definitely going to be interested in them for the rest of that current season. So. All right, so why don't we then shift gears a little bit? And he brought up the fact that we mentioned the the classic two year rebuild, and I think it was Niv we maybe that about mentioned that the abandoned team, which I guess has an owner now. Yes, it uh, was it was picked up. So I don't know if we deserve credit for that or not, but it's great that it was picked up. Yeah, um, because be I think project. it was an interesting team. Yeah. So Niv, I guess I'll ask you because I think you were the one that brought it up. In your mind, what? What do you mean when you say the classic two-year auto new rebuild? Right. So I said that exact line for the the keeper deadline review, but we I think we've mentioned it sort of collectively in the in the podcast before. For me, what I mean when I say that is is a two-draft rebuild where you go into the first draft of your of your plan saying my goal right now is to accumulate the kinds of things that will let me compete not necessarily this season but the following season and there's a subtle difference to what you need to compete in a given year versus what you're given what you need to compete 
in the future, right? And what we just talked about is that you want the way I sort of think of the shape of a com competition year is you have a lot of surplus that you've kept and you need the final pieces of production and top end talent that you can acquire in the auction draft because that stuff usually churns because it's so expensive. The flip side of that is having sort of a situation where you don't have as much surplus as you'd like. You maybe are keeping a couple high end stars and then you go into the auction saying, my goal right now is to either get high upside guys that aren't necessarily going to be ready for, let's say, 2021, but are ready for 2022. Guys that I think are are going to get called up and then are ready for a breakout or guys that are just in a better situation that can grow into breakout players in 2022. And the other thing you do is you're just not, for me, I'm just not as price sensitive in the auction in that kind of season when I'm thinking of the top end talent. Because those assets, and we were talking about this a little bit before we recorded, those assets, the production is the thing that people will trade for, and they will be less worried about the price because they're going to throw those guys back into the auction pool for the next season anyway. And so you don't have to be as adherent to saying, I have a, you know, Bryce Harper is out there. He is OF2, OF3, right? I guess three or, or four, depending on the format. And he is the best outfield available. Like Trout's kept, Soto's kept, Acuna's not available. So Harper is it. You do not have to be price sensitive there, right? So you can get those assets at a really expensive clip, like much higher than the surplus will have it, or that your projection systems will put your value, your your value system will put them at. And you do that because you know you're going to trade a midseason. You know that that production is valuable to somebody. And what I try to do is get three or four guys like that. Make a trade. Uh, make that year about July one. Everyone knows I'm available to trade. Before, while there are still enough people that are buyers, right. and then, and then your following season, your year two of this, is with the surplus you've accumulated over the course of the last last regular season trading. You use that surplus. You identify the pieces that you don't have uh, production in. And you use that to really aggressively plan your team, plan your offseason, and plan your draft to win in 2022. So you're going to set yourself up for only needing a few assets in auction, using your surplus wisely so you can maybe get other surplus players in other positions so that you have like a real a real coverage. Because again, Auto News, 23 roster spots in the standard format, right? So it's, it's or 23 lineup spots, I should say. So it's... You need a lot of breadth to your lineup to be successful, right? So, you know, it, it's a tough game. And I think um, getting plus players 23-ish positions is hard. And I think that's why that just ties back to why it's hard to be com competitive every year, I think. Yeah. And because you have those, those, those mechanisms, like the first one that I already mentioned where you're in order to make a push in the in in, in year one, for example, you're trading away some future value to make a push, and and so now you have less in the following year. In addition to that, you have arbitration that eats away at some of your value, and maybe you don't get hit by as much as other teams because you have a less surplus to begin with. But that's not good news either because you're right. just in a worse position. So every you know, and and it's all sort of built in to eat away at that if you just keep trying to push, 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 push. And I think the other thing that that I don't know that you mentioned, Niv, but and I agree with the, the the idea of a two year rebuild. I think the other reason that we often talk about it, like on Slack or when we mention it here on the podcast, is 
Autonew is not a dynasty league in the sense that you can keep every player in your roster forever. Their prices are going to go up. So you are going to eventually have to make decisions and, and let players go. So it's not a true dynasty in the sense you can keep them forever. And that part of that then is the idea that prospects that are five years away or three years away, I mean, five years away is a long time, but three years away, they're not really helpful for your team in, in terms of your ability to compete based on what they're going to provide to your team. What they might be helpful for is leveraging them as a trade asset and in trade capital and sending them to somebody else who's got an eye three or four years in the future. But I think in most cases, new managers should realize that anything beyond this year and next year, that's all I'm focused on, right? Yeah, I think that's right. Like two years, if you're looking more than two years out, like there, two years from the current, time, it has maybe. to be it has to be an incredible asset, like a Wander Franco style. A top, a top five overall prospect might be the only exception. Only to exception. That. Right. Yeah. Yes, Chad, you were going to say something. Yeah, I was just I, I think one thing that would help me because when, when you and I first started talking about this, my immediate reaction was two years is a crazy long time. Why would That's anybody too spend long. two yeah, years yeah. rebuilding? But. What you just said was a little bit different, which you talk about two auctions. And the first one you talked about buying assets that you can use to trade or to grow surplus or to get surplus. And the second one, you're you're ready to go by the second one. I want, I'm curious if you can talk a little bit more about what you see as like, assuming that you enter a season, you, you enter a season is March, April, whatever it is, you're ready to compete. What is What do you see as the timeline for that full rebuild from... I'm competing either. Is it like I win that league and then I tear it down in the off season or is it I win that league? And so then I keep trying next year and it's some like, is it, I guess I'm trying to figure out like for you, is it figuring out what year do you decide in May or June, this isn't going to happen in rebuild or do you decide in November that it isn't going to happen for the next year? And so you rebuild right. like what's I, for me, that, that's, that's, that's the question, right? I think that's, that's the game in a lot of ways. I think, you know, tied in with what Justin said about how this isn't a true dynasty. Like the flip side of that is a lot of people are coming to this game from playing more traditional Yahoo's ESPN redraft leagues. This is extremely dynasty compared to that. It's not the truest dynasty. That's like the old school. We have 80 players and full farm and all that stuff. So there is something like in between there. And I think Chad just sort of like nailed like the tension of the game, right? Which is like, how do you know when, to engage on that. So for me, I think I'm like in the middle of it because I just won in League One and I kept, I probably erred on the side of keeping with my expensive players, with especially at the top end. I kept a Trout and a Rendon and an Otani. And I think from my perspective, I have a lot of pitching surplus, but I don't have enough pitching surplus to mask the fact that like all my hitters have to work. And so I go into this draft. I'm not at a place where Chad was saying like, okay, I'm ready to rebuild, but I could be there by June one. And I wouldn't be surprised by that. And I think like we, when we we've talked about this a couple of times, sort of an ongoing theme in this podcast of like having a plan and like reassessing and being really honest with yourself about where you are with your team. And like, where is this team? Is this team actually, am I? And so for me, I have like an Otani and a Rendon and a Trout and that could be amazing production, but if Otani if Otani is not great, that's not a, that's already, that's just $23 of dead money. Right. And you have to be just totally honest with yourself of like, like where, when do you decide that what Otani has been so far 
is good enough or not good enough. And like to me, I think that's probably June one. Yeah, I think the reason I'm asking this question is, and, and you guys know this about me, I I don't like to go into an auction thinking I'm rebuilding. I go into every auction thinking I'm competing. But I think the point that Niv just made is a really important one because the mindset that Niv has right now of like, hey, I think my team could compete, but if things don't go right, I could also see myself rebuilding by June I have 1st. like a contingency plan, right? Yeah. yeah. I always think both of those things. I have never gone into a season thinking, this team is going to win and there's no way I'm rebuilding. And I've also never gone into a season thinking, this team is rebuilding and there's no way I'm going to win. So, I always know what I need to happen at the auction or what I think I need to happen at the auction, how I think I need things to break. But by... May 1st, June 1st, somewhere in that range, I'm starting to think like, okay, things aren't quite breaking the way I wanted, which means I either need to replace my third baseman, I need to go in, I need to start buying, or it's time to bail. Like I, I have to make that decision at some point. And I think that's a really important thing. And then I think you get into this interesting dynamic of what I prefer to do, which is aggressively move in season to try to rebuild on the fly. If I'm going to give up, I'm going to I'm going to make trades for guys who are going to help me the next year and try to put myself back in a position to be going for it again by the next auction versus what Niv's suggesting, which is when you hit that point saying, okay, it's June 1st, this isn't going to happen for me, and I'm not going to sit here and spend the rest of this offseason getting or the rest of this season and the offseason being super aggressive, focusing all my effort on this. I'm going to start a process that's going to take a year to really put myself in a really good position yeah, because I think, 18 I think months later. In that situation, like in this situation, if the players don't come off that you need to come off in order to compete, and we've talked about this before, they're not necessarily trade assets then, right? If I have a $23 Shohei Otani and I need him to be 80% of the, of the dream version of Otani, like if he doesn't hit that, my team isn't going to compete, but nobody's going to trade for him. That's not like an asset that's exciting then. Maybe I trade the Trout, but maybe I hold $75 Trout who's not going to take any ARB, $77 Trout next year. Maybe I hold that as a trade asset for 2022. Because the other thing is that if you decide, if I decide to be like my team fell apart, every good asset has to go, you could really fall into your, fall yourself into a place where you're sort of living in four through six, four through six place where you don't quite have enough assets to buy the future value and the surplus you need to compete in the next year. But you also, you just, you, you just aren't adding enough of the assets that you need to trade and you aren't adding enough of the surplus value that you need to compete. And so you sort of end up in that black hole area that Justin was talking about. And I think that can happen. So, so for me, it's like, you know, you look at the, the keeper deadline just passed for us and we look at the idea of like, where does my team stand compared to where people kept in this, in this league or uh, like how much, how much free agent, what is available in the auction for free agents. And then, so that's one inflection point where you can look at it. You can look at it coming out of the auction draft and say that went, that plan did not go the way I wanted it to go. And now what, what do I want to do in response to that? And you can also just say like December one, I have been in 11th place for four straight years in this league, which is exactly what I did in December of 2018. I am going to turn this around. I'm going to turn this around sort of by sneaking up on people by having a very specific auction strategy for our 2019 auction draft in which I add very expensive players that I explicitly want to trade. 
I get everyone's surplus in 2019. And if half of everyone's surplus executes in 2020, I will win. And that that was it. And that worked. And the reason that that can work is that it sneaks up on people. It doesn't seem super obvious. And by the time you've done it, people are like, when did you get all five of those starting pitchers? When did you get those three middle infielders? Like, when did that happen? And and I think to me, rebuilding the the biggest the biggest focus for me is that rebuilding is freedom, right? It's freedom from the pressures of building a roster a certain way, of needing to have a third baseman because I don't currently have a starting caliber third baseman. Committing to a rebuild is about the freedom to take advantage of every opportunity that presents itself from that point forward. Whether that means you're you're cutting an overpriced star on your roster in season to free up some money and cause a cascade and then take advantage of somebody else cut somebody, whether it's speculating more on those relievers that, that have a hot April and are they for real or the outfielder that comes up and wasn't a prospect, but he starts mashing and you can, you can snag him as well. That's to me what rebuilding is about. It's about the freedom to take advantage of every opportunity that could present itself to, to then leverage that into future value. And I feel like the teams that are really gunning to compete just don't have that same freedom because they're constrained by their salary situation, by their roster situation, where a team that's rebuilding isn't constrained in the same way. And yeah, I think the that's the value of of having a focus on rebuilding. It's not yeah, looking four years from now. It's just being flexible and, and having that freedom. Yeah, the important thing there, I think, is the commitment to the rebuild, right? I think... One of the things that jumped out at me about the question we originally got is that he's finishing middle of the pack every year. And that tells me that not only is he trying to compete every year, but when he realizes it's not going to happen, he's not making the full commitment to saying it's not going to happen, so I'm tearing this down. And I'll be honest, I have this issue in League One. I think if you look at my last five years in League One, I finished like third, seventh, sixth, and then first, and then fourth. Right. So there's a, there's a bunch of middle of the pack there. Now, part of that, again, is top four get paid. I'm, I'm happy to I'm happy to end up sixth if I was fighting for fourth and thought I had a shot at it. But I have an issue in League One where I don't commit to my rebuilds. Usually I start rebuilding. Then there's some guy who's who's available on the trade block who I think is a decent enough value that I take a shot at him, even though it doesn't really fit a rebuild strategy like it falls apart. I think one of the things that I'm that I'm looking for Though in leagues where I really rebuild, like in our our 11.99, the food and travel league, I think I finished 11th or 12th. I finished way at the bottom. My team wasn't doing well. I could tell it wasn't doing well. I had a bunch of pitchers get hurt, and I was like, forget it. And I and I really tore it down to get myself in a better position. I think for this coming year. And so I think that's one of the things to be to be looking for is like once you've realized, you have to be honest with yourself. Like Niv said, June 1st, you can't wait until until August 1st to realize it's not going to happen. You've got to be honest with yourself early in the season. And once you make the decision that it's not going to happen, lean in and, and, and start to do things like Justin was saying, trade away your expensive stars. If they're not going to get traded, cut them and make other people make a decision about whether they want to add them at half price. If that doesn't work for you, then you cut them and you've cleared up a bunch of cap space to go do other stuff. Go grab every player who comes up who might be a breakout star instead of holding on to that $15 player that you're already paying $15 who isn't that exciting anyways. Find those opportunities that like, all right, I'm going to go grab this guy who just came up. Like, 
a guy like you know, years ago, Jacob deGrom, who didn't have a lot of hype around him, whoever was the one who said, okay, I don't actually need starting pitching right now. I can live with some guy at the end of my roster who might be waiver fodder in a month anyways, but hey, he had a couple good starts. I'll take a shot on him. That guy's probably still pretty happy. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's and that's what having that flexibility and freedom affords you the opportunity to do is to take advantage totally. of those situations totally. where other where other managers would say, well, I'm competing and that, that this guy's just too risky for me to count on. That's an opportunity for the other teams that can absorb that variance and that risk because there's no downside. Right. If, if you're in a rebuilding mode and let's say you're at auction and you you acquire someone, if they don't pan out, you just you just recycle them. It's you're really not out anything other than the opportunity that you could have purchased somebody else. But that's going to happen. You're going to miss on some of your picks, but there's no downside because you can just throw them back in the pool and, and, and try again. I think the other the other big, I think the big thing with all of this and the, and the question of competing every year versus this, but you call, you know, you call the classic two-year rebuild, but it's really more like an 18-month rebuild or whatever it is. I, I think the the big difference here is how much do you value going into an auction, having a full year with that freedom versus how much do you enjoy competing every year, right? And I think that's an individual choice that people have to make. I think I put myself in a harder position when it's time to rebuild because I give myself a tighter timeline to do it and I have to pay more attention and be more aggressive and be more active in the trade markets because of that. But I enjoy competing every year. And I would rather have harder rebuilds that don't work out as well Right. I, then. Right. So one thing I was going to add on to that, and I think Chad makes a really good point, and we, we mentioned this briefly, too, is, again, you have to just know your personal strengths. Right. And so there's two parts to that that I think are really relevant. One is exactly what Chad said. Do you have the patience to do this? Like, I think Auto New, well, I know for a fact, Auto New is a game that lets you do this in a way that Yahoo, ESPN, Redraft Leagues do not. So that's a really interesting I mean, that's that's a draw, I think. I think that's like a a cool thing about Auto New that makes it more reflective of Major League Baseball and actual team building, right? But if you don't have the patience for it and you like the day-to-day, like just being in it every day, for me, I have a lot of Auto New in my life without being competitive, so it's okay. But I can understand uh, where Chad's coming from, for sure. Like, you really like playing fantasy baseball. It's your hobby. It's where you want to spend your time. It is a lot to take a year off. So you have to know your strength and your patience there to be able to do that. And if it's not for you, it's not for you. The other thing I want to say, which you guys touched on, is like knowing your strength when you do approach a rebuild, because there are three or four different ways to go about it. You can be trade heavy. You can do the kind of thing that Justin said, where you cut expensive players and you sort of see where the chips fall and are really aggressive in the in-season auction and waiver claim world. You can stash guys for really cheap in-season auctions, start your auctions and start as many auctions as you can and then try to take advantage of your surplus in the auction draft. So there's like really uh, three or four different paths. And I don't know, like one of the things Justin, you and I were talking about, a big difference I would say between maybe the way Chad and I play versus the way you play, Chad and I are pretty, pretty big trade presences. One of like both of the championships that I've won in League One over over the last 15 years are entirely based because of my relationship building and trade, my ability to trade. Right. Chad has drastically changed the way we play Auto New because of his ability to trade. 
so when we like justin like do you 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 sort of go at it a different way right yeah and 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 it's it's like this with a lot of the things that i do you know it's it's very specific to how i am as a manager and the fact that i run so many teams like i'm i'm much more regimented in my max bids at auction because i'm i have so many teams and i don't have as much bandwidth to do on the fly like oh, this league is going to be like this i you know i'm i'm a little more robotic in that sense and that's the reason why it's because of the number of leagues i have it's because i'm focusing on value but you're exactly right and we were talking about this there was literally a conversation on slack before we started recording this podcast and it had to do with sort of the utility of a player's surplus on your roster that if you already have an you know a stud third baseman Nolan Arenado doesn't help you as much as he would if you had no third baseman at all. So leaving an auction with maybe over-indexed on a certain position, yes, you can leverage you that have, and, and trade right. them to somebody else. But for someone like me, who isn't as adept as making those trades, that doesn't maybe want to do the legwork necessary to contact everyone and really get the maximum value in trade pieces back, I might be less likely to have depth at one position and shortage in another one with the assumption that I'm going to trade it away and I can still get what I need. I don't want to put myself in that position because I don't want to have to be dependent on making a trade to improve my team. And the same is true in a rebuilding context. I don't always win those high-priced assets in an auction with the intent of flipping them for, for, for surplus, right? I do do that, but I think the other thing that I really want to be active in is is for agent auctions and when someone else cuts a player and like chris sale for example right he blew out his arm he was cut everywhere because he's no you know what i don't want a 45 dollars chris sale in my roster he's not helping me anymore but if somebody else can pick him up and get him for 20 dollars or whatever you know or what have you they they don't care that he's not going to produce anything this year because you have an eye towards next year already you know, and, and right. And the right way is probably a combination of all of this, right? Like you really want to use every tool at your disposal. Yeah. When it's, you're it's, rebuilding. And it's, and it's yes. And, but it's playing to your strengths. It's being honest with who you are and what you do well and what you don't do well and try to mitigate those weaknesses and emphasize those strengths. And that takes a lot of introspection, right? I mean, you have to, and, we, and we've talked about it a lot. You have to be honest with yourself. Now, a quick segue real quick one of the things that I did when we're talking about rebuilding, right? And we're talking about that inflection point of when do you make that decision? When do you decide you're not going to be able to compete and I should focus on a rebuild? Well, guess what? That's why I made the surplus calculator was so that I could look at my, my league and say, where do my keepers? Like, I think my keepers are good because they're worth more than I, their salary, but how good are they in comparison to everyone else in my league? My keepers are good, but everybody else's are amazing. Well, that matters, right? My relative keeper value is not as high as other people's. So that makes a difference. And that changes the way I'm going to approach my team's future. And that's why I had a tool like the surplus calculator, because I wanted to know how good is my team really? And how good of a position am I going into auction? And how good of a position am I after leaving the auction? And, And that's why I created it in the first place was really to answer that question. When should I rebuild? Am I going to be able to compete this year. And to me, that was always the primary value of the surplus calculator was to determine the relative strength of your team, specifically based on keepers, because that's what auto new is. It's a keeper auction league and everyone has keepers they like, but who's based on the projections is really putting them in the best position for that year or, you know, 
through the rest of the year or whatever. And, and I think it's I think it's worth noting that when we talk about whether you go into an auction as a rebuilder intentionally or whether you go in competing, the differences in how you bid, I, I think anyways, are, are somewhat subtle, right? Like if you're competing, you might want to pay for the high-priced stars because you need their production, or you might not because it might not be the best use of resources to improve your team. If you are rebuilding, you might want to pay for the high-priced stars so that you can trade them, or you might not because that may not be what you really want to do, right? And, and so you're always looking for those mid-tier guys who go for a good value because they're either going to give you a lot more production than you pay for when you're competing, or they're going to be good long-term assets for you if you're rebuilding. You always want interesting prospects because you're either going to trade them when you're competing or because you're going to keep them when you're rebuilding, right? So, it, you know, one of the things I, I find is part of what helps me feel like I can compete every year is I don't think I would do that much different in an auction. And so because I don't think I would do that much different in the auction, it doesn't make a big difference to me. And I, it, I feel better saying I'm competing. I enjoy it more. But I think this then goes back to like, for Justin, who's less likely to say, well, I don't have a third baseman, but I'll figure that out via trade later, it probably does make a bigger difference in the auction. You probably are more likely at the auction to overspend to get that third baseman or to make sure you find a third baseman you like. Whereas I might walk out of the auction with garbage at third base because I said, forget it, I get better value elsewhere and I'll trade for Nolan Arenado when he becomes available. And so I, that's, that is part of the sort of knowing your strengths and what you like to do is figuring out like, does it matter? Do you actually have to decide before the auction are you competing or rebuilding, or are you going to do the same thing no matter what? If you can do the same thing no matter what, don't worry about it. Wait till you need to make that decision. And, and that's a great point. And I think that there's definitely a subset of strategies that that would be resilient to responding to both of those situations. And and that's exactly Chad kind of is already mentioning that that a, a top prospect is is worthwhile no matter what competitive spectrum your team is on, whether it's a trade piece or whether it's someone who's going to be part of your future. And 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 maybe that becomes something we talk about a lot more this offseason was as we prep for auctions is how can we focus on certain areas of building a team that keep us resilient and being able to take advantage of the situation no matter what happens and being flexible. And I think prospects are a path for that, but I think the price has to be right too. There's a lot of prospects that are in auction and they go for $10 and it's a little to me, it's a little ridiculous when sometimes there are just as good prospects after the auction and during the season that you can scoop for a dollar or two. And to me, that's, you know, that's a big area where I look to improve is, yeah, I want prospects, but I don't want to pay $10 for them. And and if there's no, and, and it, it, this becomes another larger discussion about value and about scarcity, true scarcity, like how hard is it to find a top 25 prospect? It can be difficult to buy one at the auction, but it's not always difficult to get one during the season right. because of how many people rise up and how many players have hype that they then all of a sudden, I mean, how many guys have we seen that happen to? They weren't top hundred prospects and the following year they're in the top 25. It happens all the time. I mean, if you can find those guys, you're getting them for a dollar or two because there wasn't, a, there wasn't hype to begin with, but you're reaping the rewards of the hype after the fact. So this goes back to knowing your strengths, right? Are you going to spend yeah. the time during the season to read prospect articles, right. to see what's going on, to follow what's happening, to hear? Because when, when Keith Law says in May, before his mid-season list comes out, that there's somebody he's excited about, if you act on that for a dollar, and all of a sudden that guy's 
number 73 on his mid-year list and number 23 on his next season list. Just got created no value. A, you just created a trade as a trade asset out of nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or a guy you can keep or a guy right? that yeah, might but, be impactful on your team. But if you're not the kind of person who's going to regularly read what's going on in prospect circles to find those guys, and all you're going to do is rely on the lists, then you need to rely on the list and you need to know that and you can't sit there and then you could decide, forget it. I'm not playing the prospect game. Yep. But you can't say, I'm going to skip the prospects now because I'll find them later. Because by the time you find them, everyone else will have found them too. Right. So it's, again, know your strengths, know what you like doing, know where you want to spend your time and spend it there. Yep. All right. Is there anything else you guys want to discuss about this? I mean, we probably could ramble on for, for a very long time, but I think we wanted well, to I keep think, this one nice and tidy. So you know, The last thing I want to say on this is just, this is, this is, this is auto new. This is what yep. makes this game in this format different from other games. And... And, and I think it's what makes it fun and interesting. And I think, you know, I think Justin and Chad would agree with that. So you're asking the right question. Like that, like the original person who asked the question, you're asking the exact right question. And it's the thing that's unique about AutoNew that if you're coming from Yahoo, you may not think about it this way. And if you're coming to Yahoo, if you're coming to AutoNew, thinking a bit, thinking of it as a super deep dynasty format, you also aren't thinking about it this way. Right. Where you want to live is like the one to two years. If you take more than two years to put together the team that you want to have on the field, I think you're you're taking a little too long. And if you think you have to put a team that you want on the field, the perfect team every year, I think you're being a little hard on yourself and AutoNew gives you a little more flexibility. So I think you're asking the right question and it's like a really interesting thing. Like Justin said, we could talk about it for another hour. And and you already mentioned it too, Niv. Like it, that's that's sort of the soul of the game, right? Like it's, I really do think it is. Yeah. It, it is making those decisions and and finding that you know, the sort of that TikTok aspect of Autonew sometimes where you compete for two years, you rebuild for a year and a half, then you go back to competing. Like there's a, there's definitely an ebb and a flow right. to, to that, to that aspect of Autonew. So, all right, with that, we're going to wrap up this episode. We are definitely going to start our positional previews next week with the catcher position. And we may have another episode. We might try to do two episodes a week for a little while here, since this is a pretty busy time of year, as far as a lot of stuff that we want to talk about. The other thing I wanted to mention, oh, and I almost forgot was we do have our own Twitter account now. <laughs> it, I, I should have gotten this up earlier, but now we do have a Twitter account. It's at AutobotPod. So if you have questions, when we're, we solicit questions for a mailbag episode in the future, we'll probably do it through that Twitter account. And, and all the new episodes are also shared on that account when they are released. So go ahead and give that account a follow if you're a fan of the podcast and you want to keep up with what we're doing. So thank you for everybody who takes the time to listen, and we will catch you next time. Good night. Thank you.